So I want to really encourage listeners today not to overcomplicate leadership, but remember about the focus of treating others with the care and support they need. And the more you think about how to help them succeed, the more you'll succeed. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Welcome back, Rebel HR listeners. Extremely excited for our guest today. With us, we have Alden Mills. He is a CEO, entrepreneur, best-selling author, and highly sought-after speaker. He's written a couple of books. He is sharing the key controllables to our mindset and how to use them to our advantage to become a better leader and transform our business. Thanks for joining us, Alden. What's up, Rebel HR? <laughs> Great to be here, Kyle. I, I got to tell you, I really love the name of your podcast. Thank it you. Thank you. About me, and I love it. And I hope <laughs> people embrace the rebel inside themselves to be a disruptor. Well, I love it. You know, it's an, it's a little bit of an oxymoron, but you know that so am I, and and so are many HR professionals. So I appreciate the uh, the shout out. Uh, before we get into this, I you've got a really fascinating background. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and ultimately how you got into the um, the kind of the leadership uh, world? <laughs> oh, you should know. I can't stand talking about myself and my background, but I'll give. <laughs> I'll give everybody uh, 60 seconds, and I have to really tell you and say, how did I get into leadership? I really got into leadership because of my mom. Uh, I was 12 years old, diagnosed with asthma, told to lead a less active lifestyle, and she, until the day she passed about 18 months ago, would just say, no one defines what you can or can't do but you. Uh, that took me to try different sports, which I failed at a lot of them, found the sport of rowing. It took me to the Naval Academy, graduated from there. It took me to SEAL Team, led three platoons in SEAL Team, then founded a series of companies, one of which became the fastest growing company in the country. I uh, have father of four boys, my greatest leadership challenge, <laughs> three feral cats, a dog, two rabbits, and uh, written a couple of books. And I am very passionate about helping people be unstoppable at going after their dreams. I love it. And um, I, I appreciate you humoring me and, and giving that background, but I think it's important to set the context that, you know, uh, that, that really led you into your focus uh, on leadership. And we were talking about this before I hit record that, you know, there's really, there's really kind of three main areas that you focus on. Uh, the first one being uh, leading yourself. And so, um, as you were going through your personal leadership journey, uh, as you were, you know, kind of working through some of the the challenges that you did in your life, what led you to discover the the, the value or the or the requirement to lead yourself? Well, the first thing I'll tell you is that going through my leadership journey is not a past tense. I believe that we are constantly on that leadership journey. We're constantly looking at ways to improve. If you're not, then you're going backwards because everyone else in this world is changing and moving. But what 
what really drove me to to go down this path and figure out, you know, how does it come about to work on yourself is that I once you start taking responsibility for your own actions, you start to realize like, oh, I don't need to overcomplicate this. This is really first and foremost about me and how I approach things. If I keep thinking of myself as the victim or the villain or the hero, right, playing in one of those three dynamics, we're going to be playing below a line and playing in fear all the time. What you really want to move from is a fear-based to a heart-based. And a heart-based of what you love, who you want to be surrounded by, and showing how much you care about everyone else. Uh, And when you look at that, the first place you've got to really get comfortable with is loving yourself. We are Mm. so unbelievably cruel to ourselves. We allow... We would never allow people to talk to us the way we talk to ourselves about putting ourselves down so much. And if you start thinking of that dynamic, it really becomes like a pebble dropped into a calm, dead calm pond. And if you think about that, there are these three rings that radiate out in the beginning. They become more, but a pebble is your action. And that first action radiates out to your first ring of you and your influence as a leader. The second ring, a larger influence, is the team you lead. And then the third ring, the largest influence, is the culture in which your teams impact. So I want to really encourage listeners today not to overcomplicate leadership, but remember about the focus of treating others with the care and support they need. And the more you think about how to help them succeed, the more you'll succeed. So that's a long-winded answer of what you were asking me to do. I'm sorry. No, that's great. No, I think it's really powerful. And, you know, the, the, the image that it evoked in my mind was the, the, you know, thing that they tell you in the airplane, you know, put your oxygen mask on before you, you put somebody else's on. And, and it is so easy, especially if you're wired to be kind of that servant leader to forget about that and to just try to help everybody else. But you can continue to be cruel to yourself if you're not careful. So, so that's really easy for us to say on a podcast, (laughs) but in practice, it's really, really hard. So so as you think about that kind of that mindset and and really the you know leading yourself how do we control that natural tendency for us to 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 be mean or cruel to ourselves We had this uh, character in first phase of steel training and he spoke to us right before we had to uh, take this final fitness test. It was a simple fitness test, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, a swim, and a run. And by the way, we had already taken it four times before, right? Mm. And now we're taking it one last time before we did this. But right before we take this test, there's 122 of us. We're all lined up. He walks out of his office, and we're all in these neat little corn rows of military rank. And I'm one of the officers in the class, I'm up front 
And he walks with his limp because his left butt cheek had been blown off by a rock propelled grenade in Vietnam. And he talked like this. And he said, you all want to know the secret of making it through Navy SEAL training? We're all, you know, nodding our heads like, yeah, yeah, we want the secret. Like, what is it? He goes, well, it ain't complicated. It's hard. But it ain't complicated. You see, you just have to decide what you're going to focus on. Are you going to focus on the pain of training? Or are you going to focus on the pleasure that training can provide you? Now, he goes on for a while and talks about how we all want to be SEALs on sunny days. You know, our country doesn't need them on sunny days. And then he says, you know what my job is? My job is to create a conversation. And he points to his head and he goes, in here, that's going to drive you to make that decision. Now, break. The first chapter in my second book, Unstoppable Teams, is titled Leading the Conversation. And when we talk about leading ourselves, I break it down into three main buckets. The first one is this conversation that we have that I name the whiner and the whisperer. The whiner. We all have the whiner, right? I, I tell the Navy SEAL training story because it's it's a character that really had a, a dramatic impact on my life because I think about him all the time. But you don't have to go through Navy SEAL training to get that message. And the whiner and the whisperer, we all have the whiner. We know how it talks to us. You know how hard this is going to be? Why do you think you can make it? Who do you think you are? What are you trying to do? Disrupt your your HR department. That's not the way it's done. No, we have to do it always that way. Why? That's too hard to do. You know what I mean, right? Absolutely. You know what I mean, Kyle, because it's one of the reasons I wanted to come on your show is that I love the idea about being a rebel. We need more of those rebels because the rebels, they're not listening to the whiner. They're listening to the whisperer. The whisperer is much quieter, softer at first until we start to give it focus. And it says things like, Get up. Try again. You got this. You can do it. Keep going. Right? It's really hard at first to hear that whisper. And HR professionals, you must be that whisperer. But for you to be that whisperer means that you're listening to your whisperer. It means you're listening to that rebel inside you to say, yeah, I know. I know what they're saying out there, but we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it this way because we're different. And we're going to try new things. And the first part of learning to lead yourself always comes down to dealing with the whiner and the whisperer. By the way, the whiner and the whisperer, the, the whiner can come from external places too, right? We have to pay attention to who we surround ourselves with. We have to pay attention to what news we listen to and how much negativity we want to allow into our lives. There's a whole bunch of whiners out there and they prey on our negativity bias. So you have to be aware of that and really sensitive to it. So you can let that whisper come inside and be like, hey, what is it that I really want to do? And what's worth fighting for? Absolutely. I think I think really powerful. And as I think about it in the context of, of human resources, you know, we hear, we got a lot of whiners. 
<laughs> I mean, well, I'm just going to say it, you know, I mean, part of our job is, is dealing with, with the frustration of others. Right. And it's really harsh. easy to fall into that trap of like, Oh, uh, you know, well, this, this person feels this way and this person feels that way. And I should feel this way because this is the best practice. And so we're just going to do this without thinking through, you know, what's the ramification here. Right. Um, but I, I truly believe that that does a disservice to, um, to the organization and to the organizational culture, uh, and to the profession in general. You know, I, I think there are times where sometimes you need to be the, you need to be the whisperer in the room and, and, and listen to that and, and cut out all the noise of the whiners, uh, sometimes. And I think that's one of the, one of the most exciting things about, uh, our role is we, we naturally kind of have the ability to do that or not. And that can be a pretty darn big impact on an organization. Without question, another way to think of your role in HR, and I've spent a lot of time with HR professionals, and I encourage them to think of themselves as a jujitsu or a judo fighter. And what I mean by that is, first of all, let that person move that negative energy, right? All emotion is, is energy in motion. Let be that place where they have a safe place to get frustration off their chest and come to you. And then be the martial arts expert of taking that negative emotion, flipping it on them, empowering them for a better solution. Right? That's what that's what jujitsu and judo are known for. Taking your enemy's emotion or energy and flipping it to use it against them. Now, in this case, they're not enemies right? But you want to be able to do that. And I think when you get really frustrated, and I've watched really good doctors do the same thing, which is why they're able to say so positive, the ones that absorb that energy and don't redirect it, they're the ones that get burned out. They're the ones that get just have a nasty taste in their mouth about life and about medicine. HR is the exact same way. Yeah. I do like that though. I'm going to call myself a judo HR practitioner. That's that's yeah. pretty cool. You're about cool being it. a rebel. <laughs> You're about being a rebel. Kyle. I like it. I like it. Place to go with that. <laughs> no, it's so right, and it's so it's so easy to fall into the trap of kind of that pit of despair where it's like, oh, I've got all this negativity, and I, you know, what do I do with all this negativity? And then, but you know, I, and I mean, I I'm guilty of this. Um, especially earlier in my career, you can get, you know, jaded too. And you, and, and then people don't want to talk to you at all. And then it's, you know, and, th- and then you're ineffective, um, you know, cause you're cranky cause you're dealing with all this negative energy and you're not, you know, you're not constructively, um, you know, helping your, your team and, and, you know, and, and helping yourself. So, um, yeah. So, you know, let, let's talk about that for a moment. Cause this is an, this is an important topic. I, I spent an inordinate amount of time speaking to HR organizations and ironically doctors and medicals areas. So I see these parallels all the time. And what I encourage HR professionals to embrace and not just embrace, but rejoice is someone is coming to vent to you. They trust you. They, they, they're sharing some vital piece of information. Yeah. Okay. You don't like the rapper. I got that. Look through the wrapper because inside of that, that's the seed of a rebel opportunity for you. 
And if you can start to look at the obstacles that are being presented to you in a different kind of wrapper, they become the opportunities. The key is don't absorb the negativity. You know, I mentioned earlier about negativity bias. Neuroscientists today will say you need, on average, three positives. This is just for yourself. Three positives to offset one negative thought. If you want to be above the line in positive column, you're going to need somewhere between four and five positives to offset the negative, right? And so now you need to know somebody has come to you with a whole bunch of negativity. They have been beating themselves up for a while on this and know that negativity spreads so much faster than positivity. So what a gift it is that this person's come to you, given you this opportunity to vent, and it's your opportunity to plant something positive in that person, which in fact could be someone that could go out and quote unquote, infect the rest of the organization in a positive way. Absolutely. I, you know, it's, it's, um, I think that's a really powerful point. And it's really easy to fall into the trap of, you know, somebody comes in and it's just like, I want to register a complaint with HR. And you're like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. but they wouldn't do it if they, if they didn't think that you could help them. Right. Um, you know, and, and you might be the only person that they know to go to, you know, they might be in, in, a, in a point in their um, life where, where they're, they're at a point of despair, Right. And, and at that time you do have an opportunity to step up and, and, and there's a lot of power in that. And I think it's, it's easy to lose sight of that because of the frustrations and the noise that we have in our day. Uh, but I think that's a really, really powerful point. Well made. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And you know, it, it isn't, you can be the last line of events. You could be the, we could go through all kinds of metaphors. They could be calling out for the special operations SEAL team. Like I got nobody else. Break glass <laughs> in case of HR. I need help. Right. <laughs> so it is all about flipping the narrative to where you can get something positively accomplished out of it. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned something that I, that I, I want to dig into because I know you've done a, a ton of work on on culture. And, you know, you talked about kind of like infecting others with that positivity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I want to I want to dig into that a little bit, you know, and, and as, as we think about culture, a lot of times HR kind of gets the rap as the people that, quote, like own the culture or like, you know, yeah. like you're the you're the yeah. you own the employee experience, you know, and it's which for me is always kind of kind of interesting. But um, I want to start with, you know, as you think about people in human resources, where do we really have the highest level of impact on culture? And how can we how can we really be focused and not make it too complicated as how we can build a great culture in our organizations? Look, first and foremost, this is really important to understand. You HR professional by yourself are one small component of the culture. Culture, by definition, and the way I think of it, is a promise. And the promise is only as good as the people that I consider promise keepers and the process that are the promise process keepers. It's the three pillars 
of culture, promise, people, and process. And if they aren't all intertwined to support each other, and let me give you an example, we've come up with some great core values and we've, and we've carved them into special Italian marble and they're put right up front. Everybody must see it. These are, they're very special core values, right? They say things like integrity, communication, respect. Those are aspirational. The job of the HR professional and the HR leader is to get both the top of the pyramid and the bottom of the pyramid of the hierarchy of the organization to close the gap between aspirational and actual. The more you can be that gap closer and you have to help people, and most of the time it's going to the top of the organization, grabbing them proverbially by their metaphorically by their earlobe and saying, no, 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 no. We have we have respect down here. And and being on guard to help the leaders make sure they're consistent while encouraging those that might be more in the rank and file to empower them to say, you can be as important at the culture as the senior. Now, who's got the most influence? It's obviously the senior members, right? But you can have positive virus infections of culture throughout all elements of the organization. And as the HR leader, you want to empower people to be the ones to set the standard for the culture. And so to reiterate, I think about actual versus aspirational, how we close that gap and think of your culture as a promise. And are we doing what this day, the next day, living up to and reinforcing the promises that we've made, whether it's the mission, the vision, the manifesto, however you guys talk about and defining the culture, it is a promise. And it's only as good as those who reinforce it on a consistent basis. Absolutely. I, I love that, um, that analogy. And I, I, I think about it in the, in the exact same way where you've got the, there's, there's always this, like this, this tension, it's like the top down versus the bottom up. And, and, you know, if you think about the organization, like a pyramid, you've got like these, these two forces pulling, pulling against each other. And a lot of times I think about us as like the glue in the middle that's trying to make sure that, that, that those forces aren't too far apart. Right. And, and, you know, and, and I think about, you know, I think about that and I think you're so right that one of the biggest jobs is for us to make sure that both sides of that organizational pyramid yep. understand the other, <laughs> right? Like and the, it's critical. You're the between you are yeah. the reduction gear, the transmission. I mean, the, the metaphors abound on this, the right, glue. Right right? The transparency, the mirror, like it is all about that. And I think uh, all of us in HR can lose sight of the real mission of what HR is about. And that's really about people development on both sides of the equation, above and below, and empowering each and every one of them and engaging with them 
of what they can do for the for the organization and for themselves. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I want to talk about this program because I'm just fascinated to learn about it. And now we're talking a little bit about people development. So um, what is the Swim Buddy program? In SEAL Team, the smallest team is a Swim Buddy. It's two people. When you first get your Swim Buddy in SEAL training, you essentially get assigned a swim buddy after Hell Week. Now, you've had some before, but there's been too much movement going afoot at that point before Hell Week. And Hell Week is this big weed-out period. It's a week long, takes you Sunday to Friday, and they give you a total of about three and a half hours of sleep for the whole week. And you get about 80% attrition rate at that point. After you get assigned a swim buddy, you have about a 95% success rate. Mm. And, you know, in the world of HR, you may say, oh, that's a mentor program. You know, a mentor is more of a senior to a junior. Let me show you something and let me show you how it's done this way. The swim buddy is much more, I'd like you to think of it as you perhaps have somebody that's more experienced but are in the same level or within the same genre of their rank and file. And I'll give you this example. When I went over to SEAL Team 2, after two platoons driving these classified mini-subs, I didn't know much about conventional SEAL missions. I knew a lot about underwater stuff. And they assigned me, my swim buddy, who was – junior to me in rank, but way senior to me in experience, the chief of the platoon. He ran a sniper school beforehand. He'd done multiple deployments in traditional SEAL team platoons. And he was a godsend to me because he would share things with me that'd be like, hey, Lieutenant Mills, you know, be thinking about this. This, These are a couple of things you should know about doing A, B, and C on this kind of a mission. The same thing can happen as an HR. You know, I worked with a chicken processing company, massive company, right? They did like 20, 40% of all Chick-fil-A chicken and stuff. And they were having a really hard time with the first 90 days of somebody working on the line. They'd mm-hmm. leave. It doesn't cost you much of anything to say, hey, Sally, welcome to the chicken processing line. Uh, For the next 90 days, this is your swim buddy. Don't have to use that term. That's just the way I think of it. And for these next 90 days, swim buddy is going to be with you. Make sure you check in on it. Make sure you understand where the locker is. Make sure if you have an injury or where you get lunch, whatever. It's just a general friend to know that got your back and you can talk to them. And then the next 90 days, we're going to switch to somebody else because the key was you got to keep them there for 90 days. If you kept them there for 90 days, their attrition was much, much lower. If you keep them there for 180 days, well, now you've got even a better opportunity. So then you switch out and you bring in another swim buddy and you rotate them around. When I do my executive coaching in larger, larger groups, it's either one-on-one or like a one-on-many, I'll split the group in the different swim buddies. Typically the swim buddy setup will be people who are not in the same office. 
They could be uh, very similar in position, but one office is in uh, one time zone in New York and the other one's in Salt Lake City. And they rarely would either interface with each other and I force them to interface. That's part one. Part two is I give them a menu to follow when they first start to get to know each other because learning to connect with people can be awkward and be like, all right, well, we're going to follow, you know, all this <laughs> unstoppable methodology. And it's very simple. I'm like, I want you guys talking about how you were doing physically. I want you to ask them like, how am I sleeping? Hey, what are you eating? And what are you exercising? We call that how you see. Hear about their family, part two, personal, what's going on outside of work, what's occupying your brain. A lot of times people will spend an inordinate amount of time there because they don't have a chance to compare notes with, yeah, I got to do caregiving for a grandparent who's got long COVID or I'm dealing with someone with dementia or I've got a child who has special needs program, right? They don't have that opportunity. And just those two pieces alone build such strong bonds. And by the time you get to the third piece, now you can get into the professional work. On top of that piece, I'll also uh, put in 10, three, and one-year goals and make them go through goal-setting process so they can keep their updates alive with, hey, these are the goals I'm working on. And by the way, two sets of goals, personal and professional. And I want the personal first, and I want you to start at 10 and work your way down. Why? Because most people don't think that far over the horizon, and it gives you a window inside their mindset and imagination. How far out is their horizon? What typically will happen when you go through that drill is you'll find out that most people's 10-year is really a three-year. Their three years, mm. one year, and their one year is like a quarterly smart goal. So there's a whole bunch about swim buddies. You know what I think is really powerful, um, and and I have a theory that one of the keys that we don't talk about enough as it relates to employee retention is having friends at work. Without question. People that actually care, right? And I, and I feel like that's, this is a, it's a formula to foster some of that, right? Like if you told this person that, that, uh, you know, personal information about your child that has special needs, right? And they showed care for that and like empathy and maybe they shared something personal about themselves. Like that's some stickiness right there, right? That like, oh, I have a friend now. <laughs> like that matters. It really it, does. It is, it is so invaluable and you know i think people have kind of created inadvertently this chinese firewall of oh we can't talk about anything personal or mm. work you know it's just work 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 all the time uh as far as i know there is no one that can create a complete chinese firewall between oh gee um my son's in a coma right now, but I got to go to work. So I'll be at work and I'll be fine. I won't think about my son for eight hours. Don't be ridiculous. I mean, we're human. We're imperfect. We're flawed. We need each other. And more importantly, we need to be felt cared for, which incidentally is the whole basis of my second book, Unstoppable Teams. And it's, you know, I, I took care and turned it into the acronym to show how much you care is the leading driver for anybody in HR. You know, uh, Absolutely. 
Teddy Roosevelt has this quotation, my favorite all-time quotation. I think it could be representative of every HR department, or it should be. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. <laughs> Love it. So, so take that and think about every day when I walk in to my office, how am I going to show how I care today? And maybe a lot of how you show you care is when somebody comes in and hits that HR button because they want to vent. There's your opportunity right there. A golden opportunity to show how much you care. Get them comfortable and let it rip. Let it get it all off their chest and then start thinking of ways that you don't have to have that conversation again and make it right. There you go. Powerful advice. We're going to leave it right there and we're going to shift gears. We're going to go into the Rebel HR flash round. Are you ready? I'm ready. I think this might be fun. Okay. Question number one, where does HR need to rebel? They need to rebel on structure and break it with more ways to connect with people's heart and show how much they care. Just because they did something in the past doesn't mean it's worth doing in the future. Challenge everything. I couldn't agree more. You know, the, the thing that drives me crazy about the whole, like the whole best practice culture or like, you know, follow the process map that corporate sent your way is like, you're dealing with human beings, <laughs> right? Like, no, there, there's no process map for some of the wild things that occur at our workplaces or, or how somebody's feeling like you, you have to be open-minded. And, and if, if you're literally just like following best practices in a binder, um, what are you there for? Right. You know, <laughs> well, yeah. I, I got to share this note. Like I had sold my company and then I became the president of this division and they were in North Carolina and I'm in uh, Sausalito. And my chief marketing officer's husband got diagnosed with an extraordinarily rare form of brain cancer mm. and died within four months. Mm. And she has two little girls, two little girls that would come to our office all the time. And you pull out the employee handbook of this large company and they're like, oh, well, you get uh, one month. If anybody has gone through the grieving process of somebody, they know it's at minimum a year. A year of every first without their loved one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You got to throw that handbook out the window and think about how am I going to do it for this person? Because trust me, how you handle those special scenarios is a huge opportunity to show everybody else in the company how much this company cares about everybody. We had pot, we had, we did meal trains and potluck meals for months and special pickups for the kids. I mean, it was, and she stayed and, and we got her through it together. Powerful. Yeah. You know, and you got to challenge all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful, powerful story. And I think, a, you know, advice that we should all be thinking about as we, as we have these, these situations pop up. Okay, question number two. Who should we be listening to? Well, it's pretty obvious, right? Right after what I just said. <laughs> first and foremost, you got two listeners that you really need to be listening to. Your first one, the whisperer. You need to be listening to your heart and your gut. You know, they often say we have three 
intelligence centers, and the intelligence centers are defined by the same neurons that we have in the brain. There are fewer, but they're in our heart and also in our gut. Our brain, logic, thought, heart, emotion, feeling, gut, desire. Follow your gut, listen to your heart. Part two, you can't listen to other people in your organization, especially those in the rank and file, enough. Get out of your office. Go out there and listen. And listen to understand. Don't listen to win or listen to fix. Listen to understand them. Absolutely. I'll tell a story on that. You know, a number of years ago, manufacturing facility really struggling. I mean, we're talking like 40% turnover, um, rough stuff, you know, not, and the jobs were dirty and not glamorous. I mean, you know, hard labor stuff. Mm -hmm. And I went out there and I was out there with one of my operational leaders and, and it was, you know, it was, it was a walkabout kind of a thing. Right. And so you're just walking and, and the whole point of the whole point is to get employee feedback. Right. And I walk up to this guy who looks like he might be having the worst day of his life. (laughs) (laughs) Come to find out that's every day for him. But, um, you know, the the operational leader's like, oh man, this guy, this, this, this guy's not a company man. You know, he's, he, he's cranky. He's always complaining. And I'm like, oh, well, I want to talk to this guy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I, and I, I literally, I think I might've said, I might've said, five words that entire conversation it was just him talking at me and and you know sharing grievances and you know literally just sat there and listened at the end of the conversation some of the problems that he had he had kind of talked through himself and kind of solved himself but some of the some of the feedback that he gave honestly it was just real unfiltered feedback that everybody else was too afraid to tell me because they were being too polite right and and what we uncovered in that you know that conversation was wow, we got some systemic things we got to go fix here. But once, you know, once you kind of power through that, now you can actually figure out, okay, where do we start? How do we fix it? Right. And, and that was one of the most valuable conversations of the entire business trip. Um, just cause I went and talked to one cranky guy. Right. But I mean, that's, it, it and matters. Did you fix them? We fixed them to the best that we could. Not every, yeah, not everything could be fixed, but we, we took, we took action, right? You know, it was, and, and, and then crazy the guys see you taking action. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think the other thing I would say is if we couldn't fix it, we were honest, like, yeah, we can't do that. Yep. <laughs> you know, so, right. And yeah, was he still cranky? Yeah, a little bit, but, but not at the level. Right. Um, but, it, but it's, it's that, those kind of interactions that, I think matter the most. So I couldn't. It's a force multiplying effect with what you just did. First you go and you, you go to them and meet them where they are. Understand and listen to understand, not listen to me. Yeah. But yeah, but right. right? Oh no, I'm going to tell you why you're wrong and I'm right. That's listening to win. That's not helpful. But once you can do that and then he or she sees you taking that action that totally builds a bridge of trust to like, wow, they listen to me and they're actually taking action. I am, I'm valued. And when they feel valued, 
they get confident to come up with other ideas. Some won't be about fixing something. Something could be about improving or new ideas. But until they feel valued, it's very hard to get people to come up with the innovation cycle of new ideas. Right, right. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that, Kyle. Yeah, that's part of what I like about my job. All right, last question. How can our listeners connect with you and learn more? That's really hard. Alden-Mills.com. If you go to alden-mills.com, I put out weekly blog posts and articles on LinkedIn. You can sign up for the newsletter, and you can see the latest stuff we're doing. I'm very passionate about it. Just love it. It's just, it's absolutely great content. It's been a wonder, uh, wonderful having you here. We will have that information in the show notes um, and, and just really appreciate you spending some time with us. And, and, you know, I certainly took away a ton from our conversation. I guarantee our listeners did as well. So thank you so much for spending some time with us, Alden. I hope so. And I hope they understand they are a rebel with a cause. If you're an there HR, you, go. you got a cause to rebel. Well, <laughs> you got go. buddy. I love it. Thanks, Alden. Take, Take care. care. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.